All righty there. Well, I told you here on Lavender Hill last week that we were going to have some Gladys Bentley kind of a little, uh, uh, you know, not really tribute set, but, you know, just uh, kind of, uh, you know, a focus on her. And, well, we're going to have her and some Al Rainey and some Bessie Smith, some of the greatest uh, black queer women of the early blues and jazz age here for you. And that was Gladys Bentley with her How Much Can I Stand? And we're going to hear a little bit more from her later. But, uh, yeah, it is Lavender Hill that you're listening to here on KZUM. And, you know, you're either listening to us on the radio station, 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska, or you're listening to us online at kzum.org, or you're using that handy-dandy, smarter-than-a-calculator device, put it down if you're driving, that you take everywhere with you, and I do mean everywhere, ooh, wash your hands, and listening to us on your favorite mobile listening app like TuneIn or Next Radio, or perhaps you're listening up to two weeks after original broadcast date thanks to the KZUM archives that can be found on the interwebs at kzum.org slash archives. However it is that you're listening, I'm glad you've tuned in. I've got an interesting selection here of news for you, a little heavy on the Republican side of things, but, well, you know when I say that what I mean, right? I hope you do if you've been listening for a while. But uh, let's just go ahead and get on going here. We've got, going to start out sad. we got to start out sad. I'm sorry, we just do. Uh, If you are familiar with the Sundance Film Festival, then you may know that uh, there was a documentary that was shown at the Sundance Festival recently called Kokomo City. And in that documentary, there was a a selection of trans sex workers who were shown and talked about and, you know, their lives were featured in part of the documentary. And one of those, by the name of Rashida Williams, unfortunately was found dead early this month. Uh, On April 18th at 10.42 p.m., police officers found Rashida Williams at a West Central shopping center. Uh, She had an apparent gunshot wound and was not alert, conscious, or breathing. She was pronounced dead at the scene, and the Atlanta Police Department uh, is investigating. Rashida Williams, who was 35, uh, a black trans woman who appeared in the recent documentary Kokomo City, along with other trans sex workers, was murdered last week in Atlanta, Georgia, according to this article on LGBTQNation.com by Daniel Villarreal. Now, it does, of course, start out very sad here, but there's a little bit of good news, kind of, sort of, maybe. Homicide investigators responded to the scene, and they have already taken into custody an unnamed 17-year-old male suspect. They are working to determine the circumstances surrounding her murder, according to the APD. No motive was given for her slaying, nor did the police release details about the 17-year-old suspect and his possible connection to the murder. The statement from APD uh, noted its active investigation into William's shooting death as well as those of two other local trans women. One woman was killed in a, quote, dispute on April 11th, barely a week before Williams, and the other was slain possibly by a male suspect back on January 9th. The APD said that the murders are unrelated and don't appear to be, quote, random acts of violence. APD investigators hadn't found any indication that the women were targeted for being trans. Take that as you will. It's still 
other than that January 9th. It's still kind of early days. Uh, Williams and three other transsex workers appeared in the award-winning 2023 Sundance Film Festival documentary Kokomo City. In it, Williams, a.k.a. Coco Dadal, and three other black trans women from Atlanta and New York City spoke frankly about their lives. The three other women in the film are Daniela Carter, Dominique Silver, and Leah Mitchell. In an Instagram statement, the film's director, Dee Smith, called Williams beautiful and full of life. Smith, who is a musician, is also a black trans woman. I created Kokomo City because I wanted to show the fun, humanized, natural side of black trans women, Smith wrote. I wanted to create images that didn't show the trauma or the statistics of murder of transgender lives. I wanted to create something fresh and inspiring. I did that. We did that. But here we are again. Smith went on to say it's extremely difficult to process Coco's passing, but as a team, we are more encouraged now than ever to inspire the world with her story. She will inspire generations to come and will never be forgotten. Smith's film debuted at Sundance, winning the Audience Award in the festival's next section. The section showcases bold, pure, and innovative forward-thinking storytelling. The uh, festival's website uh, describes it as such. Kokomo City also won the Berlin Film Festival's Audience Award for Panorama Documentaries. The APD urged people with any information about the women's deaths that were mentioned earlier to contact Crime Stoppers. Uh, the Atlanta branch of that can be found online at stopcrimeatl.org. Or if you live in the area, it's 404-577-TIPS. That's 8477. Callers don't need to provide their names or personally identifying information in order to qualify for the award or any suspects, arrest, and indictment. Now, according to I or excuse me, Every Town for Gun Safety's 2017 to 2022 Transgender Homicide, homicide Tracker, hmm, say that one five times fast, 7373. There we go again. Lip alignment needed. 73% of all confirmed homicides against black trans women involved a gun. Two-thirds of trans and gender non-conforming gun victims were killed by an acquaintance, friend, family member, or an intimate partner. Uh, yeah. Like I said, not really the happiest of news to start out with. And we may go up from there we may go down from there we're going to kind of go up and down up and down up and down a little bit here but before we listen to a little bit more gladys bentley did want to let you know that another article by daniel villarreal over on lgbtqnation.com is a much more positive feel to it and that is with the headline san diego is opening a shelter for homeless lgbtq plus youth uh, both articles that I've discussed so far are from Saturday, April 29th, 2023, over on lgbtqnation.com. In San Diego, they will be opening a 45-bed shelter for homeless LGBTQ plus youth run by the local LGBT community center, the San Diego Housing Commission announced earlier this month. The commission also allocated $1.5 million for the shelter as part of its overall plan to address local homelessness. 
The San Diego LGBT Community Center is now seeking out a permanent location for sheltering queer and non-queer youth between the ages of 18 and 24. While the permanent location is expected to open later this year, the center will open up two interim 21-bed shelters within the next 60 days inside the neighborhoods of Claremont and Point Loma in San Diego. So, you know, there is some good news there. It's unfortunate that something like this is needed because homelessness, especially homeless youth, should not be something that is a thing. It's 2023. Why are we making people live on the streets? Why are we making youth live on the streets? Why are we making people feel that they have no choice but to leave the safety or at least assumed safety, of their homes just because they are LGBTQIA2SOG. Hmm? That's what a lot of the reason, almost all the reason, for these queer youth to be living on the streets. They no longer feel safe at home. Shouldn't be a thing. All righty. That said, I'm not going to get up too high on that soapbox. You're going to hear me soapboxing a little bit later in the show, I'm sure. But we're going to have a little bit of music here. Like I said, we're going to hear another one from Gladys Bentley. Uh, We are going to hear her Worried Blues. Kind of an appropriate title, right? Uh, So keep on listening here to Lavender Hill. I'll be back with some more news commentary for you in just a few minutes. All righty there, a little more Gladys Bentley from uh, That Was Worried Blues there for us. And, uh, you know, if you aren't catching it there, of course, these are off of old vinyls uh, from the 20s, late 20s, that is, uh, that what sounds like a trumpet or trombone there uh, towards the end of each of those pieces, that's actually her own voice. Alrighty, so let's move from the music into some mm, politics, unfortunately. And we're going to go to Montana for a little bit here as Republicans in Montana are trying to silence Zoe Zephyr, uh, the uh, trans lawmaker there in Montana. Uh, This is according to an article on thepinknews.com, formerly known as pinknews.co.uk. Both URLs work, but their latest uh, iteration is thepinknews.com. A little bit easier, perhaps, to get to. The headline reads, Republicans accused of destructive authoritarianism for barring trans lawmaker. And this is an article by Maggie Bosca writing for Pink News. Uh, April 27th is the dateline on that. On Wednesday, the 26th of April, Republicans voted to ban Zoe Zephyr from the House floor, that's the uh, House of Representatives there in Montana, for the remainder of the 2023 legislative session. She will be allowed to vote remotely. The trans politician has been targeted with censure calls since the 18th of April when she told lawmakers who backed a ban on gender-affirming health care for trans youth that they would have, quote, blood on their hands. House Speaker Matt Rieger uh, had, or I think that's how you pronounce that, Rieger, R-E-G-I-E-R, had already silenced Zephyr, refusing to acknowledge her or let her speak in the chamber until she apologized for that blood on their hands comment. This led to protests from constituents, some of whom were arrested for sharing their outrage in the House chamber. In response to being denied her ability to participate in debates, Zephyr said she remains, quote, steadfast in her commitment to her community. 
Montana Republicans' uh, treatment of Zephyr has been thoroughly condemned by LGBTQ plus and trans advocates across the United States. Uh, Deirdre Schiffling, uh, national political director at the ACLU, said there's a, quote, name for when elected officials attack and silence other elected officials they don't agree with to prevent them from fulfilling their duties. Authoritarianism. Uh, she went on to say, freedom of speech is essential to our democracy. Trans people are an essential part of our democracy, both as voters and lawmakers, and must be defended. Elliot Emsey, executive director of LGBTQ plus Victory Institute, said it's, quote, destructive and absurd for anti-LGBTQ plus lawmakers to, quote, launch a verbal and legislative war against trans people and, quote, censure the state's only trans lawmaker for telling the truth. Emsey said Zephyr's comments were incomparable to the undeniable harm the proposed trans health care ban would have on the community and to the harmful and hateful rhetoric pushed by anti-LGBTQ lawmakers. Representative Zephyr's voice is, is needed more than ever at this moment, and her opponents understand that, Emsey said. It is the reason they are determined to silence her. And uh, Keegan Medrano, uh, policy director of the ACLU of Montana, called the move an, quote, anti-democratic effort by House leadership to censure one of their own colleagues for using her voice and platform to represent her constituents. Going on to say, in voting to take away her microphone, the House is attempting to silence Montanans and trans people from speaking to the harm of all these bills. This is another shameful day in our state's history, and we're determined to protect every transgender Montanan from these vile, bigoted attacks on their dignity and equality. All righty. Well, that uh, article over there on thepinknews.com has more to it, and I encourage you to check that out. There's lots of embedded links to more coverage uh, part of it being uh, Zephyr's recent track record with the Montana House, some of the bills that she has voted for or against. Uh, so, you know, might give you a little bit of an idea of other reasons why some may want to silence her. All righty. Well, let's move on from Montana to, oh, where are we going to go next? What do we got here? How about the U.S. as a whole here for a little bit? Another article from Pink News. Uh, this one by Amelia Hansford from today, April 30th. The headline reads, Most U.S. voters aren't happy about political attacks on trans kids. I know, I'm not happy about it. Uh, more than half of U.S. voters think transgender children are wrongly targeted by political attacks, according to, believe this or not, a Fox News poll. And only 1% are concerned about wokeness. Is this coming from Fox? What? Okay. Statistics collected from registered voters found that 57% believe political attacks against trans children are, quote, a major problem, and 26% see it as a minor problem. Overall, 83% of responders saw political attacks against trans youth as a problem, with only 15% saying they don't have an issue with it, and 3% saying they're unsure. 
Data from the survey of 1,004 registered voters across the U.S. from the 21st to the 24th of April was released by Rupert Murdoch's U.S. News Corporation on Wednesday the 26th. It looks at various issues facing the U.S. today, including the economy, gun rights, and foreign affairs. Currently, 44% of voters approve of Joe Biden's presidential run, while 55% disapprove and 1% aren't sure. I always find that interesting, the unsures. Unsurprisingly, the most significant problem facing Americans today appears to be the job market and the economy, with 24% saying it's the most important issue. The second significant problem in the U.S. is inflation and the cost of living, with 16% of voters saying it's their main issue. And the third is gun violence, with 12% focusing on that. In contrast, only 1% of voters think that transgender issues are a significant problem in the U.S. The public's view on so-called wokeness is so insignificant, in fact, that it does not appear on the list of priority issues in either of the 2021 polls included in the data for comparison purposes. Despite this, state legislatures have poured a significant amount of time and resources into introducing anti-LGBTQ plus bills that curtail the rights of trans people, particularly trans youth. Going on from that, possibly the most significant is the anti-LGBTQ plus campaign spearheaded by Florida man himself, Republican Governor Ron DeSanctimonious who has passed a number of bills targeting the queer community. This year saw a surge in book bans across Florida as part of an effort to censure LGBTQ plus literature. This is despite 87% of U.S. voters viewing book bans as a problem in the U.S., with 27% saying it's a minor problem and an overwhelming 60% seeing it as a major one. Independent journalist Aaron Reed responded to the poll's findings on Twitter, saying that it proves anti-trans politics are not popular. Everyone sees the attacks on trans people, and people do not like it. She continued with her tweet. You can find that and other information in the article uh, by going to thepinknews.com. I will also be posting that link later today on our Facebook page. All righty, well... As you can tell, my voice is starting to wear just a little bit, but we're going to keep on going here. Uh, Before we take our bottom of the hour break, I wanted to remind you that it is Election Day on May 2nd, at least for most of Nebraska. I know here in Lincoln we have a mayoral race as well as city council seats and many other positions that are uh, up for grabs, as it were. And I'm not going to tout who my candidates are. If you've been listening to this show long enough, you kind of probably already have an idea of where my political leanings may be. You could be wrong, though. But I am going to say this. If you are registered to vote in Nebraska and you have the opportunity and the ability to go vote, vote. I don't care who you're voting for. Here in Lincoln, you could be voting for Larry and you could be voting for Geist. You could be voting for Mickey Mouse for mayor. I don't care. It is your civic duty, nay, your civic responsibility to vote. If you are a registered voter, please make sure you go out and vote on Tuesday. All right. That's almost all I'm going to say on that. I might remind you a little bit again before the end of the show. But, uh, you know, 
make your voice heard one way or another. All righty. Well, we're going to go ahead and take that bottom of the hour break just a smidgen early. I need to uh, wet the whistle here and see if I can uh, fizz through some stuff. So uh, we're going to uh, have our station announcements, and we'll have our last Gladys Bentley of the day. And then, you know, we'll have some other music afterwards, but we're also going to talk some more news commentary here for you. So keep on listening to Lavender Hill here on KZUM. I'll be back in just a little bit. A little more Gladys Bentley there with her red beans and rice. Yeah, that's actually a very tasty dish. All righty. Well, we're not going to get so tasty here. We're going to continue on with the Florida man himself, Republican Governor Ron DeSanctimonious. Uh, according to an article by Molly Spray Reagan over on LGBTQNation.com from yesterday, Saturday, April 29th, 2023, more Republicans turn on Ron DeSantis. There we go. I actually said his name for you today, just in case you are at all confused as to who I was talking about. Members of the Florida GOP recently spoke out about their frustration with Ron DeSantis. And now, as it becomes increasingly clear, DeSanctimonious will soon announce a presidential run. More Republicans are abandoning ship like rats fleeing. Uh, according to the New York Times, one powerful uh, backer, billionaire hedge fund manager Ken Griffin, may be waffling on whether he will throw his support behind the anti-LGBTQ plus governor in his likely run for the Oval. Griffin has reportedly, quote, taken issue in private conversations with some of Mr. DeSantis's policy moves and pronouncements, end quote, according to sources close to him. The sources said Griffin was worried by DeSantis's proclamation minimizing the Russian invasion of Ukraine and is also upset by Florida's six-week abortion ban. Griffin's spokesperson, Zia Ahmed, would not say what the billionaire was thinking about in regard to the presidential race, only that, quote, Ken may not agree with all of the governor's policies, but he appreciates all that the governor has done to make Florida one of the most attractive states to live and work in America, end quote. Um, Zia? Uh, have you looked around at what's going on in Florida? Anywho. Uh, another billionaire Republican donor, Thomas uh, Petterfee, mm. recently told the Financial Times that he has put his support of DeSanctimonious, quote, on hold. Because of his stance on abortion and book banning, myself and a bunch of friends are holding our powder dry, according to a statement from Thomas Petterfee. Uh, he also added that the governor seems to have, quote, lost some momentum, end quote, and is no longer as well positioned to beat Trump as he once was. Mm, that's the scary thing. It's either Florida man or Trump. At least that's what it's looking like right now. Uh, but unlike most Republicans critiquing DeSantis, Petterfee did emphasize his support for the governor in his battle with Disney, of all things. Uh, despite the fact that this feud is what has led other Republicans to reconsider their, or reconsider what party DeSantis even belongs to. I'm not sure what race he belongs to. Is it human or is it, uh, I don't know, Martian? Eh, that might be an insult to the little green men. Uh, last week, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, also a Republican, harshly criticized DeSanctimonious's endless vendetta against the House of Mouse. Uh, 
DeSantis has been working to punish the entertainment company ever since it expressed opposition to Florida's infamous Don't Say Gay Law. Like, Disney wasn't going to do that. Uh, as a conservative, the job of government is to stay out of the business of business, according to Christie, as he was talking with Steve Clemens on uh, Semaphore. I don't think Ron DeSantis is a conservative based on his actions towards Disney. Where are we headed here? Where are we headed here now that if you express disagreement in this country, the government is allowed to punish you? That's his question. Uh, Christie did add, that's not the guy I want sitting across from uh, President Xi and negotiating our next agreement with China or sitting across from Putin and trying to resolve what's happening in Ukraine. If you can't see around a corner that uh, Bob Iger created for you, why do you want to punish a place that creates enormous tax revenue for your state, enormous tourism for your state, and you want to punish them because they disagree with you? Another question from Christy. Uh, Christy, who is himself considering a presidential run, oh, God's help us, uh, said DeSantis's actions rightfully make a lot of people question his judgment and his maturity. Yeah, there's going to be crickets on that one there. Oh, there's a little bit more to this with some links to some other interviews and other commentary and coverage on uh, Governor DeSanctimonious, the uh, Disney House of Mouse debacle that he's involved himself in and many other issues related to Don't Say Gay and other atrocities that are happening in the panhandle of the country. All righty, so where are we going to go from here? Hmm. Ah, it looks like we're sticking with uh, DeSanctimonious here for a little bit with an article from The Pink News. Uh, this one is going to open for me here. I thought I had it open, but apparently it didn't open. Here we go. This one is from Harriet Williamson, writing for them today again, April 30th, 2023. Ron DeSantis says Kimmy Badenoch is, quote, committed to following in Florida's anti-LGBTQ plus footsteps. Mm. So, Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has shed light on Tory Minister Kimmy Badenoch's anti-woke mission, revealing that Badenoch committed to following Florida's lead in the UK. So, yes, we're going to have a little bit of Florida man, and we're going to talk about the UK and their politics all at once. DeSanctimonious spent Friday, April 28th in the UK on the last leg of his four-country tour of Japan, Israel, and South Korea as part of an effort to boost his profile as a Republican presidential hopeful. In London, DeSanctimonious met with uh, conservative Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, who's probably not all that clever, and Business and Trade Secretary Kimmy Badenoch, who also holds the title of Minister for Women and Equalities. As part of his flying UK visit, he also headlined a private, high-profile event co-hosted with Lloyds of London, where he delivered a speech to business chiefs that was dubbed horrendous and low wattage by attendees. Oh, I gotta love how the Brits describe things. In an interview with The Telegraph, published on Sunday, today, April 30th, the right-wing Florida governor indulged in a bizarre rant about woke ideology 
and claim that Badenoch not only complemented what we are doing in Florida, but is committed to doing the same in Britain. Oof. Woke ideology undermines merit and achievement. It is really a war on the truth, DeSanctimonious told The Telegraph. When institutions get infected by woke ideology, it really corrupts the institutions. We look at woke infiltrating schools as a problem, woke infiltrating bureaucracies as a problem, and woke infiltrating corporate America as a problem. We say that Florida is where woke goes to die. At the end of the day, you cannot have a successful society if it is being operated by woke ideology. It is fundamentally at odds with reality and facts and truth. And ultimately, a society needs to be grounded in truth. That's quoting Ron DeSantis there. All righty. So at no point in the interview did DeSanctimonious define what he meant by woke ideology. The Florida governor is known for his support for extreme LGBTQ plus anti-LGBTQ plus, that is, legislation, including the uh, recently expanded Don't Say Gay law, which bans discussion of LGBTQ plus issues across all school grades. That's K through 12. Uh, let's see here. LGBTQ plus rights group uh, Equality Florida described the Don't Say Gay expansion as an insatiable lust for government censorship. Florida has also presided over a number of repressive book bans targeting LGBTQ plus literature, including the novels of Heartstopper creator Alice Oseman. The state's sweeping book bans inspired a 100-year-old grandmother to speak out in March comparing Florida censorship to book burnings in Nazi Germany. All righty. Well, I'm going to let you go over and uh, read that article if you so desire. We're going to take one more little music break here before I begin to wrap things up for you. And instead of hearing from Gladys Bentley, we're going to hear from another contemporary of hers with uh, Ma Rainey and Blues O Blues. Hit that button. Unless you think all I was going to talk about was going to be Florida and politics elsewhere around the globe. How about we actually visit Nebraska here with a little bit of news. From Nebraska Examiner, that's NebraskaExaminer.com. Zach Windling writing for them on April 26, 2023. Nebraska lawmakers defend a colleague for, quote, out-of-bounds conflict of interest complaint. A little bit of complication there for you, but... Bear with us here. Uh, several Lincoln lawmakers came to the defense of State Senator Megan Hunt of Omaha on Wednesday after a complaint was filed alleging she had a potential conflict of interest on proposed restrictions on gender-affirming care for minors. Frank Daly, the executive director of the Nebraska Accountability and Disclosure Commission, on Monday hand-delivered the complaint in which David Begley, an Omaha-based attorney, argued Hunt has a potential financial conflict of interest with Legislative Bill 574. 574 would prohibit puberty blockers, hormone therapies, and genital or non-genital surgeries for minors as part of gender-affirming care. The bill proposed by State Senator Kathleen Kouth of Omaha has been center stage in the 2023 session, sparking near-endless filibusters and bringing the legislation to a crawl. Not quite a screeching halt, but definitely a crawl. 
During the March 22nd debate on LB 574, Hutt described how the bill would impact her and her 12-year-old son, who is trans. The point isn't that I could gain financially if my kid has rights, Hunt said Wednesday. The point is the harassment. So an alleged financial benefit is what this conflict of interest complaint pertains to. The Nebraska Accountability and Disclosure Act requires all public officials and public employees to disclose potential conflicts in writing. Certain categories of public officials have a potential conflict of interest if they are faced with taking an official action or making an official decision, which may result in a financial benefit or detriment to the public official or public employee, a member of his or her immediate family, or business with which he or she is associated, according to the act. Begley's complaint contends that Hunt has a stake in LB 574, arguing, quote, in order to fully transition, Senator Hunt's child would need medical services, end quote. Hunt and doctors who provide gender-affirming services have said, however, this is untrue. She has stated on the legislative floor she tried multiple times to obtain Medicaid coverage for her son's care. Begley wrote that Hunt has, quote, a slightly more than average chance, end quote, of obtaining that coverage via a lawsuit if LB 574 is defeated. The Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services in 1990 expressly excluded Medicaid coverage for gender-affirming care. Out of bounds is the next section of the article here. Multiple senators spoke out against the complaint during floor debate Wednesday, including state senators Tom Brandt of Plymouth and John Arch of La Vista, the speaker of the legislature. Both are Republicans in the officially nonpartisan legislature, while Hunt is a Democrat. Uh, Brandt said Nebraskans elected 49 good people and that while some may complain about the filibusters being led this session by Hunt and State Senator Michaela Kavanaugh of Omaha, family is off limits. Brandt went on to say, I do not endorse this offensive complaint. It is so far out of bounds that it does not merit discussion. State Senator John Kavanaugh of Omaha argued the NADC complaint was a, quote, deliberate and clear attempt, end quote, to intimidate, harass, and chill senators' responsibilities and actions. While State Senator Wendy DeBoer of Bennington said every senator has conflicts, many of which are not identified because citizen legislatures bring real-world experiences to their work. So if Senator Hunt... DeBoer says, is going to get a conflict or an NADC file against her, then I should too. Ah, so yes. And of course, they do sign up for taking hits as the article continues here. Speaker Arch said some members of the public have seemingly used a license based upon their passion to do or say whatever they want, as long as my passion is strong enough. The speaker said lawmakers have strived to protect the institution from undue outside influence that has swerved toward name-calling, vitriol, and hate and dragged families into the mix. Uh, Arch is quoted as saying, we sign up for taking the hits. They don't, referring to family members. Arch said the um, institution must be protected so it can be handed off to generations to come. Do not weaponize. Measure your words carefully, Arch said to the public. Be civil, 
express your positions on policy. We want to know that. But just because you can doesn't mean you should, especially if you can't be civil about it. Anywho, that is pretty much the entirety there of that article from NebraskaExaminer.com. And uh, to begin really totally wrapping things up here before I get ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson with the Women's Show, uh, Nebraska Public Media has an article from the 27th. Uh, Bill banning abortions after six weeks fails to advance in Nebraska legislature. Now, what does this have to do with LGBTQIA, so, uh, 2S Sochi issues? Reproductive rights have everything to do with everybody's rights. All righty, so... If you've been following along with LB 574 and 575, you've also probably been following along with 626 and some other similar type bills, uh, if not here in Nebraska, then elsewhere across the country. So uh, 626 uh, is a bill that would ban abortions in Nebraska after six weeks of pregnancy, and it fell one vote short in the legislature this Thursday. At the beginning of debate on the so-called heartbeat bill, an amendment was introduced by Senator Merv Reepy of Ralston, which would change the legislation to ban abortions after 12 weeks of pregnancy instead of the six weeks the legislation called for. Discussion of the bill and the amendment lasted four hours and 33 votes were needed to end debate. Reepy, whose amendment would have likely failed said uh, Senator Justin Wayne of Omaha, abstained from voting, leaving supporters of LB-626 one vote shy of shutting off debate and voting on the bill itself. And under a long-standing policy of legislative speakers, the bill will not be rescheduled for debate, effectively killing it for the rest of this session. Governor Jim uh, Pillen, who is a pill, a supporter of the bill, released the following statement. I am a staunch defender of life and supporter of the Nebraska Heartbeat Act. I am profoundly disappointed in the Cloucher vote today. It is unacceptable for senators to be present, not voting on such a momentous vote. I call on Senator Merv Reby to make a motion to reconsider and stand by the commitments to life he has made in the past. He's not changing his mind on things. He just thinks, you know, six weeks, uh, hey, anybody who is familiar with how pregnancy works knows that the vast majority of women don't know in the first six weeks that they're pregnant. Why? Because they could be late for other reasons. So a six-week ban definitely doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Anywho, I'm getting ready to hand things over to Deb Anderson with Women's Show. Uh, today she has an interview segment, pre-recorded, but a great interview segment with... Uh, Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Ricky Lee Jones, a, uh, the iconic Grammy Award winner, going to be talking about the new album Pieces of Treasure and her autobiography, Last Chance, Texaco. Deb's also going to be joined by Vic Valverde of Mesoterra for the rest of the show, uh, playing some of his favorites by For and About Women. I'm going to send you out with a longer piece from Bessie Smith. Yes, I've been focusing on blues and jazz uh, black queer women artists of the 20s and 30s today with music. So keep on listening here uh, to KZUM, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy. <laughs> 